Good morning, church family. This is the second week in which I am recording a video uh, for us to uh, worship the Lord and to focus our attention on His Word uh, during this time in which we cannot meet together because of this coronavirus epidemic. And as I was thinking about our current situation, the circumstances in which we find ourselves, uh, I was uh, drawn to the book of Philippians. And the reason I thought about the book of Philippians is because in that context of Philippians, uh, the Apostle Paul is in prison. And so he is, uh, he's cut off from fellowship with believers. And, uh, but he writes to them. He communicates to them from a distance. And uh, in a way, uh, this uh, video format is uh, kind of a modern uh, technological advancement over the writing of a letter. And so uh, the Apostle Paul uh, wrote a letter to the body of believers in Philippi. And so I'm sending a video to uh, the body of believers in Winfield and perhaps beyond that may benefit uh, from this time that we have in the Word. As I thought about the book of Philippians, I was drawn to a particular passage in the book, in chapter 3, verses 20 and 21. And in that passage, Paul reminds us that we are citizens of heaven. And as I read those verses, I thought about the way that they particularly speak to our current situation. And I want to offer them to you this morning as a way of encouragement and exhortation, and I hope they will be a blessing to you. And so Paul writes in Philippians chapter 3, verses 20 and 21. He says, But our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who, by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control, will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. Let's pray together. Our Father, we thank you for the time that we have uh, to focus our attention on your word. And Father, I, I thought about the wisdom that your word gives us. Wisdom from the Apostle Paul that applied to the circumstances of Christians in Philippi 2,000 years ago, but also words of wisdom that equally apply uh, to your people 2,000 years later in the year 2020 in the midst of a very different context and very different circumstances. And yet the truths revealed in these verses are still the same. And the point that Paul is making to them is still the point that he is making to us and uh, Lord, I pray that this passage will be an encouragement to us. Father, open our eyes to see and to understand, but also to receive the things that we learn from your word today. Bless this time, Father, we pray in the name of Christ. Amen. The first thing that Paul reveals to us in this passage is that a Christian's true citizenship is in heaven. A Christian's true citizenship is in heaven. And he says this very clearly in verse 20 when he says, but our citizenship is in heaven. And this use of this word, citizenship, 
is very interesting in the context of Philippi because the city of Philippi was located in ancient Macedonia, uh, what today we would call the land of Greece. But Philippi, even though it wasn't a part of Italy, uh, it wasn't around Rome, it was in Macedonia, yet Philippi had received the status of a Roman colony. And so the citizens of Philippi could just as equally say they were citizens of Rome. And so they had all of the privileges, all of the advantages that went along with being a citizen of the Roman Empire. And so in a way, uh, the people of Philippi were like a colony of Rome in Macedonia. And what Paul is doing is by using this word and this concept for God's people, he is reminding us that our ultimate citizenship, our ultimate belonging is to heaven. But we are living in this world. And so in a way, we as Christians are like a heavenly colony, a heavenly commonwealth, if you will, living in this world. And that has a, a couple of implications for Paul. Uh, and one of the reasons why he reminds us of it in this passage one, he reminds us of it because he wants us to have hope. And I think that's his primary motivation for reminding us of it here in this context in verse 20 and 21. This is very much a, a text of hope, of what God has in store for us as God's people. And so Paul wants to remind us that we belong to God and that our real home, our real belonging is in heaven. But he also wants to remind us of this truth, not only for the hope that it brings, but also for the encouragement, for the edification, for the motivation that it brings to live heavenly lives. So to live as citizens of heaven, to live like we belong to heaven while we're in this world. And so it has a, a hope dimension, but it also has an ethical uh, dimension in how we live. But Paul wants to remind these Philippian Christians that they're ultimately citizens of heaven. They're a colony of heaven living in Philippi. Well, in the same way, we are we live in America, and we have an American citizenship, and we have the privileges and the blessings that go along with being citizens of America. But as Christians, we need to remember, as Paul teaches us in this passage, that even though we live in American, we're American citizens, earthly speaking, we have a more significant belonging. Uh, we have a more significant citizenship that is longer lasting, that is in fact eternal, and that is to be citizens of heaven. And along with that, all of the rights and privileges and freedoms and advantages that go along with being a citizen of heaven. And so Paul wants to remind us here that we ultimately belong to God, that this world is not our ultimate home, at least in its current condition, in this fallen state, in this, uh, in this time in which the world is uh, under the curse of the fall and dealing with all the pain and toil and frustration and thorns and thistles that living under the fall brings. This world is not our ultimate home. We long for a better one. 
We long for a heavenly one. We long for a new earth, a new heavens. That is our ultimate home. And so Paul reminds us of that. In the context in which we live, whether it be first century Philippi or 21st century America, Christians, our ultimate citizenship is in heaven. And because of that, Paul wants them to encourage us uh, as to what that entails for the future. So Paul here is speaking to our already condition, but also something that is not yet, something that we can hope for in the future. We are already now in the present citizens of heaven. So that's not future. Right now, we're citizens of heaven. We're a colony of heaven living in this world. Why does Paul want to uh, get our eyes on that fact, on that idea that we are citizens of heaven? I think Paul, in this particular context of Philippians chapter 3, wants to communicate to us that we should have the right perspective, the right focus of attention. And that is because when we focus our attention on the world, uh, we can do so in at least a couple of ways that are very unhealthy, that are sinful. What are those two ways? Well, one of them is through desire. So when we get our eyes off of heaven and we get our eyes on the world, and we get focused on the fact that we're here in the here and now, uh, we can succumb to this world's pleasures. And we can covet, we can desire, we can long for what this world has to offer. And in fact, Paul discusses that in the two verses right before verses 20 and 21 of chapter 3. He says there are enemies of the gospel. There are unbelievers, those opposed to the Christian faith. And he says they are earthly minded. They're earthly minded, and he says they serve their own bellies. Their God is their stomach. So, in other words, they are living their lives for the moment, for the now, for the desires and pleasures that they can get from this world now. Paul says, reminds us, that is an unhealthy perspective. And so we're citizens of heaven. But there's another way that we can get our eyes focused on the world in an unhealthy way. And that is through distress. So we can look on the world through the lens of desire. We want this. We want these pleasures the world has to offer. But we can also get our eyes focused on the world through the lens of distress. And that is being troubled about, being anxious about, being fearful about the the things, the troubles that can go on in this world. And also that has a way of fitting into the context of chapter 3 of Philippians because the the Christians in Philippi, they were suffering. They were in particular being persecuted for their faith in Christ. Paul was in prison being persecuted for his faith in Christ. And in Philippians, he says, you also share in these sufferings of mine. They too were enduring some pain and trouble because they were believers in the Lord Jesus Christ in the midst of a hostile world. And he wants to remind them, you're citizens of heaven. Don't get your eyes focused on the distresses of this world. Well, in our particular circumstances right now, during this time in spring of 2020, we as Christians are not specifically being targeted for persecution. But we are suffering under the fall, under the curse that this world is living under right now. And so 
we're dealing with the frustrations and the pains of a disease, of a virus that is running rampant through the world and is affecting the lives of many, many people, not only those who are sick and those who are dying, but even just disrupting everything about the normal ways of life. And so it, it creates a lot of uncertainty. It creates a lot of anxiety and fear. And Paul is telling us as Christians, don't get our eyes focused on that. Don't get our eyes focused on the world through this lens of distress. Why? Because we belong to heaven. And along with that reminder that we belong to heaven, there is a future reality that that promises us. And and so Paul is encouraging us to get our eyes off of the world and onto Christ. As he says in Colossians 3.1, Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your heart on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. So Paul tells us you're citizens of heaven. Why? Because he wants us to get our eyes off of the world, whether it's desires or distresses, and he wants us to get our eyes on God, specifically on Christ. Because right now we have the privilege of being citizens of heaven, but in the future that affords us a reality of hope. And what is that? That we have a returning Savior. So Christians are truly citizens of heaven. And because of that, we have a sure hope of a returning Savior. He says in verse 20, our citizenship is in heaven and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. We eagerly await. Paul uses this verb, to eagerly await. He uses that verb exclusively in these contexts of looking to the return of Christ. It is a longing for. It is looking for something with an outstretched neck, desiring for something to come with expectation, with desire, with longing, with hope. And Paul is saying that is what we are looking for from Christ. But it's not a wishful thinking. It's not a I hope this happens. It is a sure hope. It is a promise given from the true words of Jesus Christ himself, that he will return. Jesus told his disciples in John chapter 14, I'm going away, but I'm going away to prepare a place for you. And when I come back, I will receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And so we have a sure promise from the Lord Jesus Christ that he is returning. And it is a constant hope throughout the New Testament. We as Christians have that hope. So no matter what the distresses that are going on in this world, no matter what is happening, we have this sure hope that one day our Savior is returning. And the use of this word, this title, Savior, is very intentional for Paul. And it's because of the Philippian context. The people of Philippi, and really throughout the Roman Empire, it was common to refer to Caesar or the emperor of Rome, as savior. So we have Roman writings, we have Roman inscriptions, we have coins, we have things that specifically refer to Caesar using this title, a savior. But what Paul wants to remind these Christians in Philippi is that Caesar is not your ultimate savior. Jesus is. No human, no government can be your ultimate savior. Only Jesus can be your ultimate Savior. 
And so he wants them to get their eyes off of the world onto Christ. And he also uses a phrase or a term here of Jesus Christ, Lord, that is also highly significant. In fact, the only other time that he groups all these words together, Lord Jesus Christ, in the book of Philippians is in chapter 2, verse 11, where he said that every tongue will acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Every knee will bow before Christ, every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And so Paul is simply reminding the Christians in Philippi, Caesar's not your savior. Jesus is. Caesar is not your Lord. Ultimately, Jesus is. And he is the one who is coming again. He is the one who will ultimately deliver you. So don't put your hope in anything in man. Don't put your hope in anything in this world. Put your hope in the Lord Jesus Christ because he's coming again. And so Christians have this hope, this future hope of a coming Savior. But we also have, Paul teaches us in this passage, a steadfast confidence in a sovereign Lord. Christians have a steadfast confidence in a sovereign Lord. He says in verse 21, who, that is still speaking of Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control. That is an amazing statement, isn't it? Who, Jesus Christ, by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control. This is referring to the ultimate sovereignty and dominion of the Lord Jesus Christ over all things. Jesus said right before he ascended to heaven after his resurrection, he said, all authority, all power in heaven and on earth has been given to me. That is what Paul is referring to here. All things in the universe being brought under the control of Jesus Christ. Paul said this very clearly in Colossians chapter 1, that Jesus Christ is the the one who has all preeminence. And he is the one who brought everything into existence. And he is the one that holds all things together. By him, all things consist. By him, all things hold together. Jesus is the sovereign who is upholding this universe. And there is not anything in this world that is outside of his control. Again, Caesar is not the sovereign. Jesus is. Caesar is not the ultimate Lord. Jesus is. And what is amazing about this language in verses 20 and 21 is that Paul uses this language that typically in the Old Testament, in the Hebrew scriptures, was exclusively reserved for God. Exclusively reserved for God. And now these terms, these expressions are being applied to Jesus Christ. He is Savior. He is Lord. He is sovereign. This is very high Christology. This is Paul affirming the the full deity of Jesus as the second person of the triune God, the Son of God, who has all authority and power and dominion. It is in him that we put our confidence. Why does Paul remind us of the sovereignty of Christ? 
Well, for two reasons. One, to remind these Philippian Christians that in the midst of their suffering, things are not spiraling out of control. From their perspective, things might look very uncertain. Things might look in doubt. How is this going to unfold? What's going to happen? What's going to happen to us? But he's reminding them Jesus is in control. Jesus is Lord. He's sovereign over all of this. Well, he wants us to get that point too. The Holy Spirit through whom are, that he's speaking through Paul, the Holy Spirit wants us to get that truth that no matter what's going on in our world, and it may not necessarily be suffering for the name of Christ right now at this moment, but we're going through suffering. We're going through upheaval. We're going through a lot of uncertainty and difficulty that we, many of us, have not experienced before. What does he want to remind us of? Jesus is in control. Jesus is Lord. None of this is catching him by surprise. He is ruling over it all. As one theologian said, there is not one square inch in this entire universe over which Christ does not cry, mine. It all belongs to him, and it is all within his sovereign sphere of reign, of dominion. He's Lord over all. And another reason why Paul wants us to, to understand this is not only to to teach us that Jesus is in control in the midst of our circumstances, but also toward the last part of the verse to teach us that this reign of Christ, this dominion, this sovereignty, this power, it is that same power, it is that same dominion that guarantees our certain future. A a Christian's certain future is a resurrected, glorified existence. That is an amazing truth. He says, the power, by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control, that same power, that same sovereignty will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. So the same power over which Christ rules the universe is the power and authority that guarantees our future glorification. That is an amazing hope. And that's what Paul wants to get across to these Philippian Christians and to us. That no matter what's going on in the world, we have this certain future. We have a confident, sure, established inheritance. A future that is waiting for us. And what is that? It is that we will be resurrected, glorified, transformed. For some who have our brothers and sisters in Christ, for some of them who have already gone on and passed on and they've fallen asleep, died using biblical language, for those who have already gone on, they will be resurrected. When? When Christ returns. We look for, we eagerly await the return of our Savior Jesus Christ because it's at at that time that his sovereign dominion, his sovereign authority will cause those fellow brothers and sisters in Christ who have died to rise from the graves and to be resurrected and glorified. And even for those who are alive and remain, as Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 4, those of us who are in Christ, who are still alive at the coming of Jesus Christ, we too will be caught up and transformed 
as he says in 1 Corinthians 15, we will all be changed from mortality to immortality, from corruption to incorruption. And that's what he's referring to here when he says he will transform our lowly bodies, literally bodies of humility or bodies of humiliation, bodies that are weak, bodies that are frail, bodies that get sick, bodies that eventually die. These bodies of humiliation, they will be transformed into bodies of glory. And what is the pattern for these bodies of glory? It is the very resurrected body of Christ. Christ, the resurrected Christ, is the prototype, if you will, of all of those who are in him. We will all follow in his likeness, and we will be transformed to be like his body of glory. Many commentators point to the correlation here in verses 20 and 21, back to the hymn of Christ in Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 11. And in that passage, Paul describes Jesus going through this stage, this process in which he accomplishes the Father's will, where he takes on a body of humility. He humbles himself and takes upon our form. He takes on a body of humiliation, a body that can get sick, a body that can be injured, a body that can die. But then, going to the cross for our sins, God then exalts him, Paul says in Philippians 2, 9 through 11. God the Father exalts him, raises him from the dead, brings him to glory, and gives him a name that is above every name. So Jesus, from a body of humiliation to a body of glory through resurrection. That is the pattern which we will follow in our Savior's footsteps. And notice he came to earth for that. He came to take on our form, a body of humiliation, so that we could then take on his form, a body of glory. And it's that hope that Paul is pointing us to. And so these two verses, 20 and 21 of chapter 3 of Philippians, they're forward-looking. They're filled with hope. But he's writing them to Christians who are going through suffering, who are living in times of uncertainty and trouble. And while our circumstances may not be exactly the same, these Christians in Philippi were facing specific persecution for their faith. That's not the situation in which we find ourselves. The situation in which we find ourselves in March of 2020 is we're living in unusual times where all of life is being disrupted because a sickness, a virus, is running rampant across the globe. And it's disrupting everything. Many people are getting sick Many people are dying, but even those who aren't sick or dying, it is disrupting our, the daily flow of our lives. There's a lot of uncertainty, physical uncertainty, emotional uncertainty, financial uncertainty with the economy. We are living in uncertain times from our perspective. But from the perspective of Christ, there's nothing uncertain about them because he's the sovereign Lord. 
And so what Paul wants the Philippian believers to do, and and by application for us now as Christians some 2,000 years later, is he wants us to get our eyes off the world from distress, and he wants us to get our eyes on Christ, who is our hope. And so we have something to long for. We have something to look forward to. Right now, we are citizens of heaven. And that citizenship in heaven gives us a certain future. And so what is this passage teaching us? This passage is teaching us that a Christian need not fear uncertain or troubling circumstances. Why? Because we have a sovereign Lord and Savior. A sovereign Lord and Savior who's coming again to glorify us and to bring us to our true home. That's hope. That's hope. So let us get our eyes off of the troubles of this world and get our eyes on our Savior. And may we find all hope and encouragement and confidence and security in Him. And let's be reminded that this world is not our ultimate home. Our ultimate home is with God in heaven and ultimately then a new heavens and a new earth that is renewed, that is redeemed, that is rid of all of sickness and disease and death and pain and sin. A world that is renewed after the likeness of Christ. And so may we have that future hope and may that orient our focus, our our perspective in the present. Will you pray with me? Our Father in heaven, we want to thank you and praise you for the hope that we have in Christ. Father, in our current situation, there is a lot of uncertainty. From our perspective, things uh, are not uh, going well. Many people are going through difficult times. But Father, we need to be reminded, and we're thankful that your word has reminded us today that you are in control, that your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, is sovereign, that he is Lord, as he reigns from heaven at your right hand, and that there's nothing too small or too big for him. And Father, we thank you for the hope that the return of Christ brings the return of Christ that will bring with him his mighty power that will raise us from the dead and glorify us and transform us into a glorified existence. Father, we look for that hope. We long for it. We eagerly await it. Father, bless your people. Bless us. Renew our spirits. Renew our minds. And may we, in all things, look to you for our strength and for our hope. And we pray this in the name of Christ. Amen. Let me leave you with this benediction today. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. May you be blessed today.